Grace and peace to you this Lord's Day from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Barry Mullis, and I'm the pastor of this congregation, and along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan McLeuse, and all of our musicians and our director of music, Andrew Sin, I am delighted to welcome everyone to our service of worship. Before we move into the body of the service, I have just one announcement for you this week, and that is to call your attention to a new adult ed series starting this week on the biblical witness and stewardship of the environment. I hope you'll join us for that. You can find all the details you need and an opportunity to sign up for it on our church website, where you will also find other updates on the life of our congregation. Join me now, if you will, in our responsive call to worship. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart once more when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety.
the one who calls us to repent, hears us, entrusts that our Creator knows us through and through, let us open our hearts to the healing of God's forgiveness. God of the resurrection, you have called for witnesses to the good news of the gospel, the proclamation that he is risen indeed, you call forth the response of faith. To the promise of new life and the forgiveness of our sins, you ask for joyful truth-telling from us all. Forgive us when our lips stay silent. Help us to repent where we have remained mute. Call us once more to the joyful proclamation that he is risen in all that we say and do. We pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. We have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who offered his life in love to save the world from sin. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our gospel lesson is taken from the 24th chapter of Luke. We read there from the 36th verse through the 48th. Listen for the word of God to us this day. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones such as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wandering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in the word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's begin with a couple of stories. Shortly after my sister got her learner's permit to drive, I, being a dutiful older brother, agreed to ride in the passenger seat with her to the grocery store. We did our shopping and returned to the car, where she cranked the engine, checked her mirrors twice like a good student driver, and put the car into gear. 
As she slowly began to ease the car out of the parking space, some maniac in a very large vehicle came careening around the corner and practically skidded into the parking space next to her. Then after briefly yelling some epithets into the darkened car about behavior, a frenzied parent emerged and bolted into the grocery store. Now, I am not one to judge anyone for their driving, but as we continued backing out, we spotted one of those ichthus fishes on the back of the car. Uh, they were very popular in the town where I grew up. Uh, and they were everywhere in all sorts of permutations. Uh, a big truth fish devouring up a Darwin fish, or, or two big fish with a little a school of little fish swimming around them. My personal favorite was the fish that read throughout the body of it simply gefilte. You know, the fish is one of the earliest Christian symbols, a means by which persecuted Christians recognized one another. But what happened next, my sister has never let me live down. I said tongue-in-cheek, Clearly we can see Christians can't drive. Here's our second story. One of the priests of a neighboring Catholic parish agreed to teach a class for my congregation, and so in order to thank him, I took him out to lunch after church. We went to our local Chinese restaurant, uh, got ourselves a booth, and sat down and ordered our food, and set about uh, mangling our dumplings as we attempted to cut them with only our chopsticks. While we were eating, some folks came into the restaurant and took a booth a few seats away from us. They were clearly dressed as though they too had come from church. As they proceeded to order, loudly I might add, I couldn't help but notice that the words please and thank you were conspicuously absent from their treatment of their server, but that actually wasn't what bothered me the most. When it was time to order drinks, one of their group began to quiz the server about the wine list. I mean, I'm thinking, buddy, if you wanted the Four Seasons, why'd you come to the lunch buffet? Uh, but the server, who was clearly underage, didn't have any answers for this patron about the nature of the wines he wanted to consider. So the man challenged her, well, what do you mean you don't know? You sell it, don't you? His poor treatment of the young woman peaked when he curtly spat out at her, well, just give me the Bloody Mary then. It was right about this point that I looked over and recognized a member of the group from a presbytery committee on which I served, and I slid down in the booth in the vein hope that I would not be recognized. Fortune, however, did not favor me, and as soon as she got up to go to the restroom, she came over to chat, introducing herself to my friend the priest with the words, oh hi, I'm a member of Name Withheld to Protect the Innocent Presbyterian Church. After she left, the priest looked at me and said, they're yours, are they? Oh no, I said, I'm not claiming them. 
So, you know, a, a quick and dirty object lesson from these two stories is that Christians can't drive and they're rude. What was it Jesus said about witnesses? A 2019 Pew Research Center report notes that the percentage of Americans who identify as Christian dropped by 12 percentage points in that decade. The Washington Post reported in late March that membership in churches, synagogues, and mosques for the first time represents a minority of Americans. Now, I'm not overwhelmingly bothered by these statistics because the changing ways that emerging generations feel about joining organizations is well-documented and well-researched going back at least 25, 30 years. It did, though, put me in mind when I saw these of an article I read a while back about the rise of atheism in the United States. Now, before I say a thing about this, we should acknowledge that there are a lot of different flavors of atheism and agnosticism, just as there are many different flavors of faith. And before the church opens our mouths to opine about them, we should first listen. Because if we listen, we may very well find that the version of God that folks are telling us they can't believe in, may very well be a version of God that is alien to us as well, one we've never heard of, let alone met. Frankly, some versions of God need rejecting. People of faith should pay attention, always, to what makes other people turn away from a caricature of God. In fact, I wonder if the contraction of the institutional church has something to do with those very versions of God. And by the converse, the First Church, of course, is a growing congregation, even with virtual worship services in the midst of a pandemic. And I wonder if our church growth has as much to do with the false versions of God that we have we have rejected as they do with the living God whom we proclaim. Listen to what these authors said about why people are leaving religion. It's primarily a backlash against the religious right, say political scientists Robert Putnam and David Campbell. In their book, American Grace, they argue that the religious right's politicization of faith in the 1990s turned younger, socially liberal Christians away from churches, even as conservatives became more zealous. The dropouts were turned off by the church's Old Testament condemnation of homosexuals, premarital sex, contraception, and abortion. The Catholic Church's sex scandals also prompted millions to equate religion with moralistic hypocrisy. So what was it Jesus said about needing a witness? You know, for a while, when we were seeing a lot of violence out of the Middle East, I would periodically hear someone say something along the lines of, well, if the peace-loving Muslims would just repudiate the violence of their extremist counterparts, it would go a long way to helping people not to be afraid of them. Now, there is so much wrong with such a blanket statement as that, but according to that article, 
Christians need to do the same thing. Jesus said that we are witnesses. Now, I, it's not realistic to point out to rude restaurant goers that their behavior makes a mockery of the Savior that they just came from worshiping. Neither is there anything to gain by stalking discourteous drivers to the dairy aisle. But there is something to be learned here for ourselves and for our witness. Now, we Christians contemplate the nature of our lives throughout the season of Lent. We consider in the, the, the weeks that just ended with Easter what claims our faith in Jesus Christ exercises on our lives. I suspect that most of us stuck to the macro view. We thought in terms of big ideas, you know, uh, taking on a new discipline for Lent or giving up something we enjoy and then giving the money from, from that that we would have spent on that in order to, to support a worthy cause that alleviates suffering in some way or even simply giving something up for the purpose of sharpening our own faith devotion. It's all done so that we might think about the ways that we live out what it is to be Christian. These are the sorts of nuts and bolts ways that Jesus' followers make it clear to those whom we encounter us in our lives, and maybe even to ourselves on occasion, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. But now, post-Easter, post-resurrection, now perhaps the time is on us to take a micro-view. Perhaps we are as well served to think about the almost imperceptible ways that our faith changes us and shapes us. Or doesn't. Perhaps we should look inward into our own lives, to the ways that our general being in the world contributes to its communion or breaks it down. Because that's really what attitudes and tone of voice and the, as I said, the almost imperceptible ways we present ourselves do. We either are contributing to the communion of the world or to the tearing down of it. That's a pretty simple idea. Either or. Either we are working for the upbuilding of community or we're tearing it apart. It's also a very hard claim to live with. It's the notion that there are few or no irrelevant actions. Nothing is completely neutral. Now, objects and tools like money and time can be value neutral. Actions are not. Whether we like it or not, we are either doing the one thing or we're doing the other. 
If we contribute to the incivility of public discourse through our words or our attitudes, even on something as, as seemingly insignificant as our Facebook profiles or our Twitter accounts, we're doing the one or we're doing the other. Either we're building up community, contributing to the communion of the world, or we're tearing it down and vandalizing that sense of community. That's a daunting way to think of life, isn't it? But Jesus did say that he needs some witnesses. And realistically, I get that we're not going to all be nice all the time. I've never forgotten a congregate that I had in Indianapolis. He's deceased now, but he wouldn't mind if I, I shared this with you because when he was alive, he, he, and he really was a dear friend of mine, when he was alive, he was a crank and a curmudgeon. I don't think I ever heard one good thing come out of his mouth. He was asthmatic, rheumatic, and phlegmatic, and that translated into a cantankerous outlook on life. And one day as I, I found I was nearing my breaking point with his intractability, my boss, Bill Enright, took me aside and said to me, if it's bothering you that much, say something to him about it. So the next time he opened his mouth and what came out was cranky, I turned to him and said, do you even hear yourself? You're giving Christians a bad name. And he replied, and I believe it was in this moment we became friends, oh, you should hear what I'm not saying. If I weren't a Christian, I would really cut loose on these people. Perhaps some of us constitutionally can only hope not to do too much damage to the community, I, I suppose. But, but for the rest of us, Jesus says we are witnesses. Whether you are wearing your ichthus fish or talking about your church, you are a witness every single second of every single day. You are a witness when you are waiting in the La Colombe line. You are a witness sitting in a on a bench in Rittenhouse Square. You are a witness in the daycare drive through Indeed, you are a witness in the grocery store parking lot and in the Chinese restaurant. You are a witness all the time because attitudes matter, words matter, feelings matter, body language matters. It's all part of the witness. And I know that's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? It takes a lot of effort to maintain that kind of focus all the time. Maybe if we need help maintaining our focus, we should think about those scars on Jesus' hands and feet. The ones the doubters needed to see in order to come to believe. Oh, I get that mainline liberal Protestants don't tend to focus on all the blood of the crucifixion outside of Holy Week. We tend to worry a whole lot more about our ethical stands and what we're teaching, and that's all very well and good and very important. But maybe just sometimes we need to see those marks in his 
hands and his feet and his side to be reminded what sort of witness Jesus needs. Those scars remind us how much we matter to God. And so it is to those very scars that we offer our witness. Maybe that'll keep us focused. Maybe when we think about Jesus' hands and feet and side, it can help reshape the way we see the world and our place in it. Now, the way I told those opening illustrations was, of course, just dripping with judgment. I get that. It is, it is so, so easy to be glib about others' behavior. But maybe the judgment needs to be turned in on ourselves, how we go about our daily lives. Trust me, I know that mainline Protestants don't like talking about judgment. We avoid it as a general rule, even though biblically it is nothing more complex than the right-making of the world. Things that are wrong get turned around and made right in God's judgment. But sometimes, even if we like avoiding the concept, we do all need to turn a little bit of judgment on ourselves so that we can take assessment of where we stand in terms of building up the people that Christ died to save alongside us. Or perhaps whether by our actions, our attitudes, the way we go about life, what we tolerate, we are instead tearing down the people that Christ died to save alongside us. Because I'm pretty sure that when we come to our end, when God's way is just a little bit clearer for us, when we catch a glimpse of that kingdom into which Jesus invites us, that kingdom that Jesus preached about and worked for and lived and died for, when we see a glimpse of that kingdom, the one into which Jesus calls us to live even now, we are going to realize there is a whole lot more work that needs to be done. It has not escaped my notice that what I'm really saying is that if we're going to be decent witnesses to Jesus Christ, at a bare minimum, we have to start by being decent people. And it's true, we do. But it goes so much deeper than that about cultivating a habit of mind, a way of being that is so steeped in the transformative power of the resurrection that even in the moments when we fail, we cannot fathom trying to live in any other way. Last summer, I said something to you at the end of every one of my midweek messages. I ended every one of them with the words, remember how profoundly you are loved. Those scars are the proof of that love. And Jesus says that we are witnesses. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Let us together affirm what it is we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As Jesus gave himself fully to us, and then appeared to the disciples bringing peace, so let us now bring wholeness and healing to others through our tithes and through our gifts.
Let us pray. Holy One, as the risen Christ opens the minds of the disciples to understand the scriptures and gave them power through the Holy Spirit to walk boldly in this world, open your people today to the healing, wisdom, and faith given in your word. Prince of Peace, as Christ Jesus showed his wounded hands and feet to the terrified disciples, reveal to your church and to the people of prayer in every faith the wounds of our neighbors, the fears of individuals and families, and the avenues towards healing. Lord, we especially lift up this week the friends and the family of Dante Wright and all those grieving this senseless loss of life. We pray for all who may fear their safety because of the color of their skin or who they are. Help us as a country to move towards justice, to move towards a place of healing to become a place where all feel they can be safe and thrive. Author of life, we beg for peace among nations, peace throughout communities, peace within families. Guide leaders and voters, legislatures and parliaments, judges and juries. Teach diplomacy and let our ways be formed so that all creatures, plants, and people may have plenty. Light in our darkness. Let your brightness burn in places shrouded in violence. Reveal the pains that are hidden in secret. Unveil the needs of our own hearts so that we may know the power of vulnerability. Your son was raised to life even from the grave. Show us again that life comes from death. Healer of every ill, we pray for all who are in need, for refugees of war and all those who are displaced by storms, for rescue workers and medical teams, for those whose bones are weary, for those who show us the power of community to give hope to the frightened, and for all who have asked for our prayers. Hear us, O oh God, your mercy is great. You command us to bring to you our deepest desires, O oh God, and we pray now for those persons and concerns that lie on our hearts, aloud or in silence. Trusting in your abundant mercy, O oh God, we commend into your care all for whom we pray in our own lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who taught us to pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Jesus says to us, you are witnesses of these things. And to what do we witness? Nothing more and nothing less than the love of God. Why would we ever want to keep silent about that? Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.